Hey, this is Rodney Gage. I'm the pastor of Rethink Life Church in Orlando, Florida, and this is our podcast. Thank you so much for checking it out today. I hope it encourages and inspires you to live with a new perspective, make better choices, and have a greater impact with your life. Here's today's message. because today is part two of a series, and I have a lot that I want to share with you today, and so I want to just kind of dive into it. But today we're kick, or excuse me, today is part two of a series that we kicked off last Sunday called Relation Slips. Turn to your neighbor, look at him, and say, you better watch your step. Because whether we realize or not, we have a tendency to trip and fall when it comes to the relationships in our lives. I do it, you do it, we all do it. And today we're going to be learning uh, something that I think is very, very important when it comes to how we can avoid uh, tripping and falling in, the, in these areas of our lives. And I just want to say this, um, man alive, if there was ever a message that you were to take notes on, and by the way, that's one of the reasons why uh, on our welcome card, um, that you, or what we call our connect card, our welcome card, when you received uh, this or when you sat down there, there's a little place you can actually take notes. And I would encourage you to do that or you can follow along uh, there on our app as well and uh, take part in uh, engaging with the message because I'm going to be sharing some things today. And I just want to say this right out of the gate that if you are single, maybe you're thinking about uh, maybe a future spouse, or maybe you are in a relationship and you're thinking about marriage. You're in a marriage relationship, and whether you're new in that marriage relationship, or maybe you've been married for a long, long time, maybe you fall into a category of being single again. And regardless of what stage, what season, what place you are in life, trust me, today's message is going to be relevant to all of us because I would be safe to say that today's message is probably the most centralized issue when it comes to relationships that I'm personally aware of. And so last week we talked about something that I think is important when it comes to understanding just how important it is to let go of some baggage in our lives. And so we talked about uh, the unnecessary baggage and what we can do to release that and to let go of that. And our theme verse, for those of you who may not have been here uh, last Sunday, is in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. And I'm going to read it to you again. And here's what Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, Paul the Apostle, many believe Paul wrote the book of Hebrews. And here's what it says. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. So the only way that we can successfully avoid the relation slips in our lives is for us to stay focused on Jesus. 
to run our race. The race that God has already marked out for us. He has a plan and he has a purpose for our lives. And he wants us to fulfill that plan and that purpose. He wants us to experience his good, pleasing, and perfect will. God wants us to experience his best. But here's the thing. We can't do that if we are not fixing our eyes and pursuing our, our finisher of faith who is Jesus Christ. That is the reason why we need endurance, and that's the reason why the Bible says we got to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus because he is the perfecter and the finisher of our faith. And so last week we talked about unresolved baggage, and today I want to talk with you for a few moments about the subject of un, you ready for this? unexpected differences in our lives. Now, I know probably some of you don't struggle with this, but chances are you are probably seated next to someone who is the complete opposite of you. Chances are you're married to somebody who is different than you. Chances are you're attracted to somebody who perhaps is different than you. You know, there's an old saying that goes like this, opposites attract, right? But then over a period of time, listen to this, opposites attack. And unfortunately what happens is what used to fascinate us about somebody, over time, guess what? Suddenly begins to frustrate us about that individual. Why? Because we are uniquely different. And the truth is, is that we all have unique differences from one another and that is a good thing but unfortunately for a lot of people who start out in a friendship they start out in a relationship they start out in a marriage relationship in other words what starts out as the ideal over time once the imperfections are exposed the perceived weaknesses are suddenly brought to light what started out as an ideal suddenly turns into an ordeal, and before long, we're looking for a new deal. And so what happens is, is that rather than allowing our differences to pull us together, what happens is that we trip and we fall. And what happens is we don't allow the differences to pull us together, we allow the enemy to use those differences to pull us apart. And so today I want to unpack that for a few moments because I think for a lot of people, we fail to understand and realize is that God created us all uniquely different for a reason. If God wanted to, he could have made us all a bunch of clones and a bunch of robots. Man, how boring would life be if we were all like each other? We were all exactly the same. That wouldn't be fun. There would be no excitement. In that, right? God is a God of variety. And just to kind of give you a little illustration to prove my point on how much God loves variety, when you think about the human planet, I mean, when you think about the world, when you think about God's creation, when you look at all that God designed, all that God created, it's amazing how unique and diverse and how different the world and the people and the animals and everything in it how uniquely different it is. And just to kind of be even more specific, and I know this sounds random, but, but how many of you 
have any idea how many beetles there are in the world. You know, the insect, the beetle, okay? Not a beetle bug like the one you drive. I'm talking about the insect, the species of beetles. Did you know that there are over 300,000 species of beetles? You say, really? I've never thought about that. Exactly. God is a God of variety. I mean, on the human practical level, you think about over 300,000 species of beetles. I mean, couldn't God just create 50,000 and we'd be good with that? Or maybe 10,000, that would be cool. But no, God is a God of variety. Did you know that in one cubic foot of snow, there is up to one billion snowflakes? Not, not one single crystal is alike. They are all uniquely different. Why? Because God is a God of variety. Out of 7 billion plus people on planet Earth, listen to this. Every single person is uniquely different from one another. Even identical twins are uniquely different. They have a different DNA from one another. Every one of us in this room, just look around, we are all uniquely different from one another. Now look at them, look at your neighbor, look at them and say, wow, you are different. <laughs> because they are. We all are different. We're a one of a kind. Now, I love what Rick Warren uh, uses to help us understand just how different we truly are. He says we are a combination of really five different areas. He uses it in the form of an acronym known as SHAPE. And the S stands for spiritual gifts. He said we all have unique gifts that are maybe different from one person to the other. And those gifts are unique and spiritual gifts that God gives to us, especially as believers in Christ. The H stands for heart. In other words, we all have a unique passion. In other words, what, what, what makes my heart pitter-patter is different than what makes your heart pitter-patter. There are certain things that you're passionate about that I'm not necessarily that fired up about. But at the end of the day, we all are unique in what makes us passionate about life and about circumstances and about situations and opportunities. The A stands for abilities. I can do things that you can't do. You can do things that I can't do. We are all unique in our abilities and our skill sets. We are all different when it comes to our personalities. We got extroverts. We got introverts. And I know many of you, you know, you're into the Enneagram or, you know, maybe, you know, you've taken Myers-Briggs or you've taken all these other different types of personality assessments. I think they're awesome because it helps us understand what makes us unique. And we need to understand the fact that when God made us, he gave us the personality that God uniquely blessed us with. And there are positive characteristics and qualities about the unique personalities that we all have. And then the E stands for experiences in life. You know, the good, the bad, the ugly, everything in between. God takes our gifts, he takes our passions, our heart. He takes our abilities, he takes our personalities, and he takes all those experiences. You know what he does? He uses those things to help uniquely shape us and to mold us and to make us who we are. And we got to understand that those differences are there and they are a divine design that God has given to each of us. Now here's where the differences begin to play into our everyday lives. 
And here's how it plays into a lot of marriage relationships and relationships in general. According to the American Psychological Association, approximately 40 to 50% of all first-time marriages end in divorce. And listen to this. The rate for second-time marriages that end in divorce is even higher. It's up to 60 to 67%. Listen to this. The top two reasons for divorce, 73% say because of a lack of commitment. 56% say, listen to this, because they argue too much. They argue over money, argue over sex, argue over their kids, argue over their in-laws, argue over all kinds of things. Why is that? Because they are different from one another. And rather than allowing their differences to draw them together, they're allowing the differences to pull them apart. The number one reason why people get fired from their job, listen to this, is because of poor performance. You know what the poor performance is usually associated with? It's personality conflict. They can't get along with people. And therefore, because they struggle getting along with people, their job performance goes down the tube. The number one reason why customers do not return to a business or a restaurant, you ready for this, is because of a poor attitude or the rudeness from an employee. Now where am I going with all this? If I could summarize the reason why so many people, whether it's in a friendship, whether it's in a courtship, a dating relationship, a marriage relationship, a work relationship. The only reason why people, most of the time, 99.99% of the time, the only reason why people struggle so much and fall into relationships is because of one thing. You ready for it? It's immaturity and self-centeredness. Now, yes, there are extreme situations, but I'm talking about the average person like you and me, okay? At the end of the day, the reason why there is so much conflict and the reason why we allow differences to pull us apart rather than leveraging those differences to pull us together is simply because I want what I want, you want what you want, I like what I like, you like what you like, we don't see eye to eye, we're going our separate ways. And what is the root of that? Selfishness and immaturity. Now, today, I want to share with you what the book of James teaches us when it comes to the marks of maturity. And I'm talking specifically spiritual maturity. Can you imagine what the world would look like if everybody just got a little grown up and mature and just started acting like Jesus? Can I get an amen? I mean, think about what would happen if everybody just started acting like and living like Jesus. Man, you talk about a revival. You talk about a spiritual awakening. Man, we could turn our world right side up. We already know it's upside down. We could turn it right side up if everybody just started acting like Jesus. But unfortunately, that's not how people roll. But here's the thing. When I refer to maturity... I need you to understand right out of the gate that maturity has absolutely nothing to do with a person's age, a person's experience, a person's knowledge, or a person's accomplishments. 
You can make millions of dollars and be spiritually immature. So it has nothing to do with any of those issues or criteria. Spiritual maturity, listen to this, is an attitude. It is our character. You see, our reputation and our recognition is what others say about us. But our character, listen to this, is what God says about us. And guess what? I'll take it a step further. Our character is a choice. We get to choose what other people say and what other people think. We get to choose ultimately when we stand before God what God is going to say about how we lived our life. And so the question is, how in the world can we become mature in these areas of our lives? How, how do we how do we apply it into our relationships? Well, the Greek word there for maturity is a word referred to or pronounced as teleos, which is translated mature, complete, and perfect. And that's what God wants to help us do. You see, because we're sinners in need of a Savior, and for those of us who have been saved by faith, not of what we've done, but because of what Jesus has already done for us. If we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we are forgiven by the blood of Jesus. But at the same time, we still have a sinful nature. We still have a bent towards badness. The Bible says the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And so if we're not careful, we can allow people, we can allow other people's differences, we can, apply, we can allow situations and circumstances to suddenly allow our flesh to get into the way and quench the spirit or grieve the spirit in our lives and in our relationships where the spirit is no longer in control. We have allowed the flesh to get into control and therefore we are acting immature rather than being focused on the one who is our finisher and perfecter of our faith, and that is Jesus Christ. So, I'm going to get in our business today. Y'all ready for this? Y'all better fasten your seatbelt. And I just want to say right out of the gate, I'm preaching to myself. Because we can all apply this, right? We all need this. We all need to be reminded about how important it is. Because listen, the enemy is out to steal, kill, and destroy. The enemy wants to sabotage you. Sabotage your friendships. Sabotage your relationship. Sabotage your marriage. Sabotage a family. Wreck a company. Wreck the culture and the atmosphere of a business. The enemy wants to wreak havoc in our lives. And he's going to use the little petty differences to become major mountain and molehills in our lives that pull us apart rather than pull us together. And so the book of James helps us to understand something that I think is very important. In fact, I'm going to give you a crash course on the book of James. There are five chapters in the book of James. And this, the whole book of James is, a, is basically a maturity manual. It is a manual to help us understand what maturity is and what it isn't and how to ultimately live with spiritual maturity in our lives. And this is our goal, is to apply these five truths into our everyday lives. The first is this, if you're taking notes, and that is a mature person a husband and wife, a friendship, a co-working relationship. A mature person keeps a positive perspective during difficulties. Here's what James 1 verses 2 and 4 says. Dear brothers and sisters, 
when troubles of any kind come your way, notice, consider it an opportunity, not for a knockdown drag out, not for a bunch of trash talk, not for a bunch of whining and griping and complaining and jealousy, not for pointing the finger and casting blame. No, what did he say? When troubles of any kind, relational, financial, physical, put, fill in the blank, whatever trouble is coming against you of any kind, what does he say? Consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow, mature, develop. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Again, it goes back to what Hebrews 12 is teaching us. Hey, we got to run our race, and it's going to take endurance. And the only way we can finish the race, where we can be mature and complete, needing nothing, is to run in such a way where we keep our eyes and we keep our, listen, we keep our focus fixated on Jesus. That's it. That's it. Now listen, the first test of maturity in any relationship is how are we going to react when problems and troubles suddenly emerge? Are we going to, you know, go for an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth approach? Are we going to retaliate? Are we going to react in a negative way? Well, here's how we all react, to be honest with you, because we're all like tubes of tooth, toothpaste. In other words, whatever is inside of us is going to come out of us the moment we are squeezed. So we have to ask ourselves the question, what is on the inside when we face various kinds of trouble and problems and situations? When there's disagreements, when our differences don't see eye to eye, when you want what you want and I want what I want, how are we going to respond and react to those kinds of situations? Do we get negative? Do we gripe? Do we complain? Do we suddenly become the victim because of something that somebody did to us or they made us feel a certain way, or they offended us, or they hurt our feelings. I mean, I could go on and on at the end of the day. How do we personalize that in the context of a friendship, of a dating relationship, of a co-working relationship, in a marriage relationship, with our relationships with our children, with our relationships with our parents? How do we react and how do we respond during difficulties in our lives? In James chapter 1, verse 12, it says it this way. God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love them. So as Hebrews chapter 12 says, hey, we, as we're running our race of faith, of purpose, as we're keeping our eyes on the finisher of our faith, the perfecter of our faith, as we are pursuing God's good, pleasing, and perfect will, his plan and his purpose. Guess what? As we're running, we got to get rid of some stuff. We can't carry around 
the baggage of our past, like we talked about last week. we got to let go of some things. Why? Because if we don't, we're going to allow those circumstances and those difficulties and those other people and those situations, listen, we're going to allow them to trip us up. We'll get tangled up in the sin that so easily trips us up. So we got to let go and let God take control. Number two, a mature person in any situation or relationship treats one another with kindness and sensitivity. In James chapter 2 verse 8, it says it this way. Yes, indeed, it is good when you obey the royal law as found in the scriptures. Love your neighbor as yourself. Many people refer to it as the golden rule, right? It's known as the great commandment. When Jesus said, you're the love of the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But he also said, take a step further, to love your neighbor as yourself. Can you imagine what the world would look like? What our friendships would look like? What our work relationships would look like? Can you imagine what our, what our marriages would look like? If somehow, some way, we just treated one another with kindness and sensitivity. In other words, we got just as preoccupied with serving other people as we are pre preoccupied serving ourselves. Talk about a game changer. Talk about changing the world, man alive. Well, that's exactly what the scripture teaches us to do. To be others-focused rather than self-focused. Self you know, last week I made the comment that hurt people hurt people. So if we haven't let go of the unnecessary baggage in our lives, then guess what? We're still carrying around hurts and habits and hang-ups that ultimately have destroyed our lives, and therefore we're destroying other, other people. And we just take that baggage into a marriage, we take that baggage into work relationships, we take that baggage into wherever we might go. Why? Because hurt people have a tendency to hurt people. But what if, what if we got freed up from that? What if we begin to grow spiritually? What if we allow God to take control of our heart and our spirit. What if we put Jesus first? What if, what if we allow him to transform our minds? What if we allow him to transform our lives? What if we suddenly now take the focus off of ourselves and we start putting the focus on Jesus and now all of a sudden, rather than living a self-centered life, we're living an others-focused and centered life and now all of a sudden, I'm not as sensitive as I used to be. Because I realize that hurt people hurt people. And I realize that, you know what, there are going to be things that people say and there are going to be things that people do that might hurt, might be offensive. But you know what, rather than acting or reacting with unkind words or reacting with anger or reacting by saying something that I later will regret, I'm just going to treat people with kindness and sensitivity. And that's what James is telling us to do. In James 2, 14, he says it this way. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Wow. 
So yeah, we can talk Christianity and Christianese all day long, right? But does our faith and does our behavior, does our actions actually match what we say we're about? Number three, a mature person controls their tongue. You know, in James chapter 3, verse 2, it says it this way. Indeed, we all make many mistakes. Anybody ever made a mistake? Come on, somebody. Notice I said, make a mistake. How many of you have made many mistakes? Come on. Let's get honest. We're in church, everybody. I've made many, 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 many mistakes. We all have, right? But here's what James says. What does he say? He said, indeed, we've all made many mistakes. For if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and could also control ourselves in every other way. Wow. How many of you have ever been to the, the doctor for a physical checkup or an exam? And, and uh, you go into the doctor and first thing he does is he gets that little wooden stick and he tells you to stick out your tongue and you go you know it's like a worse feeling right he puts that thing down in there what is he doing he's checking your tongue why do they check your tongue first because your tongue helps determine the overall health of your body the same is true with our spiritual life the same is true when it comes to our relationships if you want to see just how healthy we are when it comes to our relationships and our spiritual health, well, guess what? All we got to do is put the, put the stick in our own mouth to determine the health of what we allow to come out of our mouths. Self-control, listen to this, comes from tongue control. And I think for a lot of us, we get ourselves into all kinds of trouble. Why? Because we say things that we shouldn't have said. We say things without thinking about what we or said or should have said or didn't say. We, we just react and we say things that sometimes is hurtful. We say things that sometimes is confrontational. And I know a lot of people say, well, that's just the way I am. That's my personality. I'm just frank. I just tell it like it is. Well, guess what? That's also a sign of immaturity. Because our frankness is without self-control. Here's what the scripture goes on to say in Ephesians 4, verse 29. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. You know, there's an old saying, sticks and stones when I break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That's the biggest lie in the world. It can never be further from the truth. Because we all know how words can cut. Words can be damaging. Words can divide. And so we got to be careful by what we say and how we say it. But it, listen, we need, to, we need to help build people up. People are discouraged. And I, I, I don't ever meet anybody who doesn't need a word of encouragement or affirmation or support or just that reminder, you know what? Hey, God, God is with you. He's for you. You can do this. We're going to get through this. We need encouragement. 
Man, the world is tired of being beat down and, man, just being told just so much negativity. And, man, it's discouraging. It's, defle- it's defeating. It's depressing. In the NIV, it says it this way in Ephesians 4, 20, 29. It says, do not let any unwholesome or negative talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. So therefore, if what comes out of our mouth doesn't build people up, then don't say it. It's like my mom used to say. She would say, Rodney, just zip it. Just zip it. Right, and that's sometimes that's what we need to do, right? We just need to zip it. We just need to keep the words inside of our mouth rather than just blurting them out. Why? Because it's a sign of immaturity. In James 1, verse 26, it says it this way. If you claim to be religious and don't control your tongue, you're fooling yourself and your religion is Worthless. If you call yourself a Christian, you claim to be a follower of Jesus. We go to church. We're involved in a small group. We volunteer our time. We claim to be a Christian. We may even be a giver. We tithe. We help support the ministry of the church. We do all those good things, right? But if we claim to be a Christian, and yet we are talking negatively about somebody else when that person is not present. In other words, we're talking behind someone's back. We're saying something negative about somebody, an organization, a coworker. A supervisor, somebody that you know, a family member, and we are saying things coming out of our mouth that is negative, inaccurate, not 100% truthful, exaggerated, unfactual, and we are saying things to other people, a group of people. That we have their undivided attention and we are saying something negative about somebody else or another group of people or another organization. And those people are not present. You know what that's called? It's called gossip. And man, we love to gossip, right? We all love to get on the gossip train. And man, we love some gossip gravy, right? I mean, we love to gossip, right? I mean, man alive, it makes us feel good when we, when we can say something about somebody. And man, we like, we, we, we kind of positions us like, oh yeah, you know, I know what I'm talking about. Man, you should have heard, you should have seen. Did you know? And all of a sudden, we are gossiping about something that, again, is, may not be truthful, factual, it's exaggerated. And if those people are not around, guess what we're doing? We are tearing down. We are diminishing what God wants to accomplish. And that is what? It is to build up. 
And it's so important that we understand that gossip is not only a sin, it is a sign of immaturity. And listen, James is reminding us, listen, I don't care what you call yourself. If you call yourself a Christian and you are doing all these good things, but yet you are engaged in gossiping and talking behind other people's back about stuff that is not accurate and untrue, then guess what? Your faith isn't worth jack. Your Christianity doesn't mean a hill of beans. You know why? Because you are acting out of the flesh and acting out of immaturity. What simply means you're not walking what you say you're all about. I told you I was going to get in your business today. Aren't you glad you came to church? Well, as I stated, this is an issue that is at the core so many relations slips. I'm telling you, I've been doing this for 35 years. And man, I live. If I've had a if I've had conversations with couples and man with people who are at odds and people who are in conflict and marriage difficulties and family conflict and family disorder and all the drama that goes with it, at the end of the day, it all comes down to this whole issue. This whole issue. And that's why James is so passionate about it. He's helping us understand how important spiritual maturity truly is in our lives. And can I just say, as a church, let's be known. Let's, listen, let's allow the reputation. Let's allow what other people say about Rethink Life Church. Let's allow the character and the culture of our church what people say and what people talk about outside of these walls in Lake Nona and beyond, let's allow our reputation to be a reputation of, man, I don't know what those people are all about. I'm ta- they are the most positive. They're the most life-giving. They're the most upbeat, most people-building people I've ever been around. I don't know what they're smoking, but I need some of it. Because what we want, listen, we want Jesus to be glorified and magnified. We want to make Jesus attractive. And the most unattractive thing we could ever do is to be gossiping and to talk trash and to be negative and degrading behind other people's back and talk about other brothers and sisters in Christ in the way that the world treats other people. So we got to grow up so we can go up to another level that God wants us to live. Is this helpful for anybody? Come on, somebody. All right, I got to hurry up. Number four, if you're taking notes, and that is a mature person initiates peace instead of conflict. James 4, we're in chapter 4 now. James 4, verse 1 says it this way. What is the cause of your conflicts and quarrels with each other? Doesn't the battle begin inside of you as you fight To have your own way and fulfill your own desires? Wow. So the big question is, are we a peacemaker or are we a troublemaker? The problem is, is that for a lot of us, we thrive on confrontation. We like to stir things up. We like to kind of just throw a little coal in the fire. You know what I'm saying? Kind of just see what happens. Like, hey, let's see what they're made of. But the problem is, is that maturity initiates peace instead of conflict. Listen to this. And the mark of maturity is the lack of conflict in one's life. Have you ever met somebody who's kind of like Paul? 
say, Paul, yeah, Paul's got a problem with Jeff. And Paul also has a problem with David. And Paul also has a problem with Sue. And Paul also has a problem with Sarah. And Paul also has a problem with Mike. Well, chances are the problem is not with the other people. Chances are the problem is, is with Paul. Paul can't get along with himself. Paul's in conflict with himself. Paul can't seemingly get along with people. Why? Because he can't get along with himself. And if we can't get along with ourselves, we're sure is not going to be, we're sure not going to be successful at getting along with other people. So a lot of people, they're in conflict with themselves and they're in conflict with God. And therefore they take it out on other people. And so we got to understand that, listen, when it comes to maturity, we got to initiate peace instead of conflict in our lives. And I'm going to give you this quickly. I'm not going to expand on this. But here are two sources of conflict according to what James teaches us. Number one is selfishness. Because in verse 2 he says, you desire but you do not have. In other words, I want something and if I don't get it, then I'm going to be extremely upset. Because you are keeping me. You are withholding what I want. You are slowing things up. You're standing in the way of me getting what I want. Sounds like a two-year-old, right? But yet that's how people react and respond. Why? Because of selfishness. And then the second thing is judging. We have a tendency to be quick to judge. Judge, excuse, excuse me, James chapter 4, verses 11 and 12 says it this way. Don't speak evil against each other, dear brothers and sisters. If you criticize and judge each other, then you are criticizing and judging God's law. But your job is to obey the law, not to judge whether it applies to you. God alone, who gave the law, is the judge. He alone has the power to save or to destroy. So what right do you have to judge your neighbor? You know, every time we point our finger and identify an imperfection or a weakness or something that we don't like in somebody else, guess what? We got three others pointing right back at us. We're so busy trying to, you know, single out the piece of sawdust that is in somebody else's eye when we got a big honking sequoia tree in our own eye. And people say, well, don't judge me. Well, the reason why we're so sensitive about being judged is because we live in a world that is always pointing the finger, casting blame. Everybody's a victim of something or somebody. Listen, we live in a world that is always condemning and judging and comparing and competing. And God says it's wrong because he wants us to live in a way that promotes peace rather than conflict. Three reasons why we should never judge is because, number one, I'm not God. You're not God. Number two, only God has all the facts. You don't. I don't. And number three, we don't know other people's motives. And so, therefore, who are we to judge somebody else when we don't know the facts, when we're not God, and we don't know what's in their heart? That's why... 1 Samuel 16, 7 says that the Lord doesn't see as a man sees because the man looks on the outside, but God looks on the heart. God sees us all in ways that only he can. 
So the Bible says that selfishness and judgmentalism is the cause of conflict. And both are signs of immaturity. So, what are the marks of maturity? How does all this apply to our relationships? One, it keeps... A mature person keeps a positive perspective during difficulties. Number two, number two, a mature person treats one another with kindness and sensitivity. A mature person controls their tongue. Uh, a mature person initiates peace instead of conflict. And number five, and that is a mature person remains patient and prayerful. Patient and prayerful. You know, the two key words in James chapter 5 are those, those words, prayerful and patient. He uses the word patient four times, and he uses the word prayerful seven times just in James chapter 5. And in James chapter 5 verse 7, it says it this way, Dear brothers and sisters, be patient as you wait for the Lord's return. Consider the farmer's who patiently wait for the rains in the fall and in the spring. They eagerly look for the valuable harvest to ripen. It's interesting that James is using that as a metaphor, kind of as a word picture to help us understand this whole virtue of patience. There's no such thing as an overnight crop, right? What does a farmer do? He plants and then he waits. And he waits patiently and he hopes and he desires that over time there's going to be a harvest based on what he planted what does 1 Corinthians 3 say love is what patient what does Galatians 5 say when it comes to the fruit of the Spirit? If we're controlled by the flesh, then we're not going to be a patient person. We're going to be impatient with people, impatient with situations, impatient with circumstances, impatient when troubles come our, our way. But Galatians 5 says when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, one of the virtues, one of the fruits of the Spirit, love is, excuse me, it's, it's, it's joy, it's, it's love, it's joy, it's peace, and it's patience. Self-control. James 5.16, it says it this way. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Now I want to close with this. There's always that mindset of well, Pastor Rodney, I appreciate all you've said. It's all true stepped on my toes I'm guilty but you don't understand my situation you don't know what he said to me 
You don't know what she did to me. You don't know how they've treated me. You don't know. And, and blah, 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 blah. And I get it. We're all human. We all are different. I see things one way. You see things one way. And we can either allow those differences to pull us apart. Or allow Jesus to be at the center to help draw us together. And you know what that takes? It takes a lot of patience. Being patient with my friend. Being patient with my spouse. Being patient with my kids. Being patient with my parents who don't understand. Being patient with my coworker who drives me crazy. Being patient with the people in my life that are extremely, extremely annoying. Being patient. But listen. As I'm being patient. And as I'm praying for them. Not to change. You say, what? No, 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 no. I thought we were supposed to pray for them to change. No, 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 no. Only God can change them. We don't change people. We don't change our spouse. And that's where the problem is. We don't change our friends. That's where the problem is. We don't change our coworker. That's where the problems go, lie. We, we don't change our kids. That's where the problems and the combustion happens. We don't change our parents. Only God can change the hearts and the lives of people. But here's what we do. We pray that God will allow us to come together, even though we may not see eye to eye, even though we have different personalities and different perspectives and we have differences in our lives, we are patient with one another and in the process we're prayerful towards one another and in the process saying, God, while you work on them, God, will you work on me? That's the key. And rather than living in survival mode in the process, what if we shifted gears and we went into revival mode and let's let, what, let's, let, let's let God do what only He can do, but let it start in us. Because that's where revival begins. It starts with us. It starts with me. It starts with you. And if you want to get out of survival mode and get into Revival mode, it's less of me and more of Jesus. Less of me and more of Jesus. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, trust me, trust me. Michelle and I, we've been married for over 31 years. Three adult kids. We have survived a lot of things. We've overcome a lot of things. Are we different? Absolutely. Absolutely. Have we had disagreements? Absolutely. Have there been times when we wanted to, you know, just tell it like it is? Absolutely. And we've done that. But here's the key to it all. Rather than allowing differences to pull us 
part. We've said, God, would you allow our differences to bond us together? To be a beautiful thing that serves as a shining, beautiful, radiant testimony for a lost world to see. Because God, we know that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And we know that with God, all things are possible. Rather than living in an immature way, we want to get out of the way and we want to invite you into the relationship, into our family, into our lives, into our workplace, into our school campus. We want to get out of the way and invite you to take control of our lives so that we can be be mature, we can run our race with endurance because we're keeping our eyes, we're fixing our faith on Jesus, the perfecter and the finisher of our faith. Amen. Has this been helpful? Let's keep running our race. Let's bow our heads together in prayer. Dimly Father, today, Lord, this is a much easier sermon to preach than it is to live. Lord, I'm guilty. I'm just as much at fault in ways that I have slipped, ways that I have tripped, ways that I have fallen with people. People that I love, people that I care about. And Lord, I know if that's true of me. Lord, I know that all of us in this room can relate because we are all imperfect. We are all sinners in need of a Savior. We are all guilty of having that sin nature that wants to sabotage us and beat us and distract us and confuse us and discourage us. Lord, we know the enemy wants to do everything he can to wreak havoc in our lives and in our marriages and in our homes and our families and our in our friendships. And God, we don't want to give the enemy a foothold. We don't want to give the enemy any place whatsoever. And God, I pray that today that we'll let go, get rid of whatever stuff that we're still hanging on to, whatever hurts whatever issues that are still unresolved, that we've yet to let go, God, help us today to let them go once and for all. God, we got a race to run. Help us to run that race with endurance. And God, I pray that today that you will empower us, Lord, to practice these truths from James, the book of James, that helps us to understand the importance of living a life of spiritual growth and maturity in our lives so that maturity can help our marriages, can help our kids, can help our families, 
can help our work relationships become all that you desire for them to be. And so right there at your seat, in your own way, in your own words, I just want to give you an opportunity to do business with the Lord. Maybe today you just need to confess some stuff. Today you need to admit some things to the Lord. Maybe some things you've said. Maybe some gossip you've been engaging in about a coworker, or a friend, or another family member, or somebody. Maybe you've been critical, negative. You've allowed some unwholesome talk to come out of your mouth. Maybe you just need to go to that person and say, hey, would you forgive me? I said some things that were not true, some things that were exaggerated, some things that were not factual. Maybe you need to pray for someone. Maybe you just need to ask God to give you more patience. Maybe in the process of being patient, just saying, God, would you work on me? God, will you develop me? God, will you help me to grow? Will you help me to mature so that I can become complete, mature, and lacking in nothing? If you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, maybe you're watching online and you're unclear, you're uncertain about where you stand with the Lord, and you'd like to solidify it, nail it down once and for all. Can you just pray this prayer? Just say, dear God. I confess to you that I am a sinner. And I repent of my sin. Today I believe that Jesus died on a cross and he arose again. Jesus, by faith, I invite you into my life to forgive me and to save me. Thank you, Jesus, for saving my soul. As our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, hey, if if you prayed that prayer, And in your heart, you meant it. Would you let me know by just holding up your hand high toward heaven today, saying, yes, I prayed that prayer. Not ashamed to admit it. That's awesome. It's wonderful. If you prayed that prayer online, just click the little hand raise button there. Chat in the little chat box. Just put, I decided. And we'll get some information to you. That's awesome. Father, we thank you for these that lifted their hands. And God, as we come close to you, as James teaches us, may you come close to us. Lord, help us overcome the relation slips in our lives so we can run the race that you've marked out for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.